Uh, so we have been going through a series in the Gospel of Luke, uh, which conveys and tells the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. And uh, so sometimes it's just writing down things that happen, conversations he's had. And then in other instances, it writes down sermons that Jesus taught, right? Like a, uh, at least a summary of them. I'm assuming he showed up in a village and said more than just a handful of sentences and then left. Uh, but we have these sermons as to what Jesus taught, which is incredible because we get his insight and his right perspective on the truth of the Old Testament, what it means for us. He corrects misunderstandings where, uh, right, maybe the teachers of the law beforehand had misapplied or misunderstood truth. And, and Jesus invites us into a new covenant and a new relationship with God where we no longer come to God as a result of or through a means of of ceremonial law keeping, right? We have access to God through Jesus and the sacrifice he made in our place for our sins, right? And so, so on that basis of truth, the fact that we in Jesus have a status that is righteous before God, that is adopted into his family, right? Like we now live differently, Right? We, we've been adopted into his family. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but yet there's still this awkwardness where I have that status, I have that relationship with God, but I still have this life and I still have this earth suit that I'm living in that seems to regularly work contrary to the spirit that God has given us. Right? And so, so like there's this war inside of us and we've got to figure out, so what do we do with that? Right? Do we ignore the fact that our bodies, our, our desires, our flesh is pursuing things contrary to God's word, right? And do we just like trust in him to forgive us and use that as an example of his grace? Or, or is it something that we should deal with, right? That we should actually maybe go to war against even, which is an interesting idea. And then what's really tricky is, right, maybe that's one thing we can start to wrap our minds around when it comes to just me and my life and my struggles and my sin, but then what does that look like when Jesus has called us to live as one body, right? Where now suddenly my sins are going to be irritating to you, right? Like where I'm going to be annoying to you that I'm still having this sin struggle. Maybe I'm offending you and like, how, is it even worth it, right? Like we're going to feel at times like it is not worth it to deal with everybody else. Maybe I should just deal with Jesus because I like that guy, right? Like, but but. He has called us, he has blessed us with, in fact, family. And so the fact that we, in all of our imperfection, are called to be family, I I guess like maybe you're familiar with imperfect families, right? Maybe you've already had that experience, uh, right? But similarly with the church, Jesus calls us to live as a loving family with one another, Right? And even though we all realize that we are holy before God, we have his righteousness gifted to us, it's still important that we deal with all of our little uh, continuing defects. Right? Uh, and so, so last week I ran significantly out of time on this passage. We'll see how far we get today. I'm going to reread at least a couple verses that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Uh, just for context, because it still relates to the ones later on. Uh, and this is a, a pretty famous passage. So, so let's see if we can uh, figure out and dissect and interpret what this means uh, in light of the totality of Scripture and what Jesus says in some following parables. So Luke six thirty seven. my guys in the back hook me up on the screen. Uh, it says this, Judge 
not, and you will not be judged, right? So there's a command for us, judge not, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Right? And so Jesus taught us that in, the, in all of these areas, whether we are planting seeds that are towards our flesh, we're going to reap this corruption, it's going to be measured back to us, or if we're living our lives, making decisions and speaking according to the truth and the spirit, we're eventually going to reap a harvest of blessing because of the way we, we live, the way we forgive, the way we give to others, right? And so it's measured back to us. And so oftentimes, like, especially the first command he gives of judge not lest you be judged sort of thing, uh, it gets interpreted in a very particular way in which we think, okay, so that means I'm not going to talk about anyone else or address their sin problems, and they better not talk about mine, and we'll just both go on our merry, and I'll continue to make destructive choices for my life and the people I care about, and they'll make it for theirs, but it doesn't matter. Live and let live. Uh, But that's not what Jesus calls us to, and I'm going to suggest that's not just Brian making things up, which you should question sometimes, by the way. Like, don't just believe everything I say. Uh, But let's read what Jesus says in this next little parable, the very next verse. He says this. Uh, He also told them a parable, verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Rhetorical question. Uh, The answer is is no. All right? Uh, Will they not both fall into a pit? The answer to that is yes. Okay? And so when it comes to this whole idea of judge not uh, lest you be judged, Jesus doesn't want us to remain spiritually blind and then just quote that verse at each other. All right, Jesus doesn't want a community of believers in which we're all living in blindness to our own sin. He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. All right, so he doesn't just want a whole bunch of blind Christians that are stumbling over themselves, their own struggles and sins in each other. He wants us to live a life that could lead others to Jesus, right? He wants us to live a life. He wants us to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations, but We can't really make disciples if we're not people that are worth following to begin with, right? And that doesn't mean a life of perfection. It means a life of acknowledging our our failures, our mess-ups, right, our screw-ups, pointing to God in the testimonies that he's given us when we have failed and his mercy and his grace have been available to us to forgive, right, that there's no condemnation for us. We can acknowledge, even to unbelievers, just like, hey, I still screw up. I still struggle with that, right? Or better yet, I've overcome that because of God's grace, right? Maybe it took me a decade to overcome a particular sin, but because of God's faithfulness, right, he has begun a good work in me and he's the one who brings it to completion, right? Like that's, that's a good testimony to share. But Jesus says this, right? Like, can a blind man lead a blind man, right? no. No, he doesn't want us blind. He wants us to follow him. He's not blind. And eventually, we should become more like him, which is what he says next. Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher teacher. So we look at Jesus as our teacher, right, as our rabbi, so to speak, uh, 
and eventually the goal is that we're going to be like Jesus, right? That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we desire, okay? And now I think all of us agree, none of us are fully trained yet, right? Like none of us, like when you walked in, was I like, is that Jesus? No, no. like none of us did we have that thought, right? But all of us, we should be maturing, All of us, we should be growing. We should be in the process of being trained, right? We should agree with what Jesus says that end product is, right? Like as as a teacher, sometimes they show you, like if you're giving a kid a project, you should show them an exemplar of like, this is what the finished product should look like. This is what an example of good work looks like. And so that way they have an idea of what they're aiming for. And so the good news for us is that we have Jesus as our teacher, That even though none of us are there yet, none of us are fully mature, none of us are fully trained, we should at least, as we study the scriptures, be able to come to an agreement of what fully trained looks like, right? The fact that Jesus lived and acted in a certain way, the the fact that Jesus operated in giving forgiveness and showing compassion and, and living a life holy before God, right, that should give me an idea of like, okay, that's the target. That's the goal. And it's not judgmental if I say, well, Jesus lived this way, Jesus taught this truth, and I agree with him when he talks about holiness, for instance, right? That, like, that's not judgmental to say we should be like Jesus. That's us all in the process of being trained, becoming like Jesus, all right? Like, that we're allowed to say Jesus is the target. I can't say, well, like, no, you can't talk about my issues I think I'm fully trained where I'm at. I think I should remain in my sin for the next 40 years. Like, that's not a good idea. Like, that would be something that would be false and disagreeing with Jesus. So Jesus wants us to become more like him, right? And even though we're not fully trained, we should all agree with what fully trained looks like. This is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. And he's actually uh, continuing a thought, so go read this on your own, but I've skipped the first couple parts there. I'm not trying to deceive you. Holding fast to the head, from whom, uh, head is capitalized there, it's talking about Jesus, it's a title, uh, from whom the whole body, all of us, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. All right, that, that we as believers, as followers of Jesus, those who already have relationship with him, who are connected and identify with him, right? we should continue to grow. We're knit together with one another, and God is the one that produces growth and maturity in us as individuals as well as a community. And then he, he continues on in uh, Colossians 3, verse 1. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Okay, so that's a matter of, of status, right? That even uh, through our belief and trusting in and following Jesus, we are raised with him, okay? That, that we have experienced a, a newness of life, a, a resurrection of sorts, at least in the spirit, in which we are like him and already are the righteousness of God in Christ, okay? Uh, and, and we symbolize that with, with baptism, right? The fact that we, we have died and are raised with him, and so, so Paul's writing to those who are raised with Christ. We already have that status, so that's not the question that's at, at hand here, but he's saying that for those of you who are raised, who've trusted in Jesus, who've experienced this newness of life that he gives, 
He then reminds us to do something. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's like, that, that seems weird. It's like, well, what, didn't you just say a second ago, I am seated with God? Like, how would I not be seeking those things? But what it suggests is that we as believers still have the tendency, I would suggest daily or even in smaller increments than that, to become earthly mindsetted, all right? That's not even a verb, but that's fine. You know what I meant, all right? That, that we will go back to our default state of just living according to our own desires, our own flesh, our own pursuit of comfort or pleasure, and right, trying to avoid difficulty or awkwardness or pain, right? Like we'll just go back to living as earthlings, even though we've been raised with Christ. And Paul writes this to a church because he knows that just like now, back then, Christians struggle with this, where we go back to an earthly or carnal mindset. And so he's reminding us, right? Verse two, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. All right, that you and I need to be reminded of this and probably daily renew our minds with the word of God that it's like, oh yeah, I'm like falling into believing some sort of lie regarding areas of my life that I shouldn't. Right? And I, as I read the, the truth of God's word, I'm resetting my mind to reality as it actually is. Right? I'm resetting my mind to no longer be thinking about just this earth and my time on it, but I'm thinking eternally. Right? I'm thinking about what is going to be meaningful and beneficial and in service towards others and showing God's love and his light to others rather than just being inward focused. Right? That we as believers already have the status with God of relationship. But we need to remember to set our minds on things above. And then check this out. Verse 5 in that same chapter. This is where it gets interesting. So remember, he's writing to believers. Those who have been raised with Christ. And believers need to be reminded of this. Which is in some ways encouraging. Because it's like, okay, they struggled with the same stuff back then. right? And then in other ways is convicting because it's like... I can't just ignore these things, right? I need to not just write my own kind of New Year's resolutions for myself of what I would find convenient for life change for me, but I need to allow God to be the one who defines the target for my life. That I need God to be the one who who gets to say what things need to be pruned away in my heart and in my attitude. And so it says this, written to believers, put to death, therefore, What is earthly among you? Right? Suggesting that those who have been raised with Christ still can act like earthlings at times. And in case we needed clarity, which I'm glad Paul's given us, he tells us what that looks like. Right? He tells us the sorts of things that are earthly, are carnal among us. All right? That would show themselves up in the life of even a believer. All right, so this isn't something to feel condemned about, the fact that you might have these kind of thoughts or attitudes that arise, or it's a a weekly struggle for you, whatever it might be, but we've got to act, right? We've got to do something with it. We can't just stay where we're at. We need to be trained to become more like Jesus in this way, and the way we do that is by putting to death things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, right? Fleshly passions, right? Evil desire, covetousness, right? Greed, the desire to have what other people have been blessed with, okay? He says, which is idolatry, to worship things other than God. And he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too 
once walked when you were living in them. And so, in the life of a believer, daily, I would suggest, we need to crucify our flesh. We need to take up our cross and follow Jesus because we fall back into this state of living according to these earthly principles, and, it, and we shouldn't be surprised, right? We're not unaware of the schemes of the enemy, like the, the temptations that we fall into are common to man. This is the thing that we should expect. But what we're instructed to do is to put to death these things in us. All right? And so when it comes to, like, coming to the conclusion that sexual immorality is something that needs to be put to death in me, that's not judgmental. That's agreeing with Jesus' assessment. That's agreeing with the instruction of the Spirit. That's, that's recognizing that if these things in me are not put to death, it is cancerous and is resulting in difficult things being invited into my life that I don't want. It's, it's living a life that is not just sinful, but as Proverbs puts many of these things that are sins in the category of foolish, right? That I don't want to make poor choices for the rest of 2019 and end up no closer to being fully trained, to end up being no closer to being like Jesus, or to end up in more bondage, in slavery of sin, right? Bringing destruction on my own life or, or my family's. Right? Like, we can't do that. And so, so we need to put to death things that are like sexual immorality or things that are covetous, like greed. Right? It's not judgmental to agree with the Bible that those are things that need to be removed from the life of the believer while simultaneously realizing we're going to struggle with those things. All right? We're going to need God's grace for those things. That we are granted grace, right, in Jesus that we could grow from grace to grace. That God's response to those things in our, life, uh, our lives isn't one of immediate condemnation where he doesn't want to talk to us, right? He offers us grace accessed through relationship with him, through repentance, right? But if I refuse to surrender territory of my life over to God, right, I'm not putting to death that which is the enemy at work in me. I'm I'm maintaining it, I'm feeding it, right? I'm giving it resources and time and energy. I'm spending the life that I've been given in a way that I shouldn't, that is to live focused on things on this earth rather than above with Christ, all right? So, so this is interesting, right? That, that you and I are gonna to struggle with these things. And, and what's really tricky is, so what do we do once we're now in this community, Right? Once we now have a whole bunch of people struggling with all of those things that are at different states of putting them to death in them, right? or at different states of not even caring about putting those things to death, and now throw them in a mix of believers that are reading the Bible, right? that have a varied degree of maturity as we're all growing, that as we're all struggling in different areas, what does that look like? And Paul tells us how to handle that, because like, that community is going to be chaotic, right? That, like, how do you... How do you have family like that? I'm, well, I guess that's the only kind of family there is, the defective ones. But, but here we go. Like, check this out. In, in Colossians 3, verse 12, he says this. Once again, writing to those who are seated with Christ, who are raised with Christ. So this isn't a question about status. This is a question about reminding us how do we live in this earth suit for the time that I have on this earth, Right? while I'm pursuing Jesus and becoming more and more matured to be, to be fully trained like him. Colossians 3.12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
So who is he writing this to? God's chosen people. Those who are already holy because of what Jesus has done. Those who are the beloved of God who he gave his own son for because he so loved them. Right? That, that, that's who this is written to. So we shouldn't be surprised that we need, as Christians, a reminder of these things. And it says this, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is Paul's prescription to a church family as to how do you handle a community full of screwed up, messed up people who aren't yet fully trained. All right? Like this is what we need to have towards one another in order to have community where we're not standing in in hypocritical judgment of each other, when we're not making false condemnation of one another, all right? This is what we need to be aware of. And then check out verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So that just said, bearing with one another. That suggests to me that in a church family, my behavior will at times feel unbearable to you, right? <laughs> like, and, and the instruction of, of the Holy Spirit to the church is that it's still worth it, right? It would be so easy to just be like, God, like, I don't want anything to do with like, having brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, this is just too much work, right? We're all just screwing up in different ways. We're hurting each other. Like, what is going on, God? But he says, hey, hey, no, 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 it's still worth it. The benefit of having a body of believers is worth it, even though it will feel unbearable at times. Even though you may have legitimate complaints against one another at times, he says, the benefit of being in this family that I've called you to be in is worth it. It's worth bearing that out. Right? Bearing with one another. And how on earth can we bear with one another? Once again, the previous verse. Compassionate hearts. Right? Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And that when we have these complaints against each other, which are going to happen. They were happening in the early church that Paul's writing this letter to. Right? The first century church. Like, that's how quick humans are at screwing up Jesus' vision for his community. Right? Like, just so you're aware, it's not unusual that these things are occurring But this is the prescription, right? We need to bear with one another. We need to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So it's a really good thing he didn't have to forgive that much in our lives. So we don't have to give out as much, right? Like, oh, man. I was worried for a second there. I thought this was going to be a challenge, but no. Uh, Wow. Man, right? Jesus has forgiven us of so much, and he wants us to, like, right, distribute the same kind of grace and mercy towards others. Wow. Wow. And then verse 14 because like, we're still struggling with this idea. It says, And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And so check this out, right? Like, we need to just walk in the love that God showed us. Right? We need to show this love towards one another. And we are, in fact, bound to each other, right? To which, indeed, we were called in one body. Like, so there's no, like, doubt here. Paul's not like, man, you know, Colossae, your, ch- your church is just so screwed up. I recommend you guys just split ten times and, like, just do your own thing. It's not worth it. That's not what he said, 
right? He says, you are indeed called in one body, right? You are a community of believers, of followers of Jesus. You're not yet mature, but you're becoming trained to be fully like him, and it's worth it. It is worth it, and you were indeed called to this. So let's jump back to Jesus, because this is going to get, like, Jesus calls us to do the, the most difficult thing. Like, there's, like, easy things we could have done, like, erring on either side, but then he invites us to walk into, like, the messiest possible situation and calls us to it. Check this out. Back in Luke chapter 6, verse 41. All right, you're probably familiar with this parable. If not, I think Jesus has a sense of humor. So here we go. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the, the log, the beam, the plank that is in your own eye? Right, like, why, why is that? Right, because I find other people's sin unbearable, but my own I like. And so that's, that's why, right, that's why we act that way. But notice, like, the humor in this. Like, how can I inspect someone else's small issue when my eyes are just covered in logs? Right, like, how on earth can I possibly do that? And so that's what Jesus is correcting here. He's like, right, why, why do you even see that when, like, you've got these, like, bigger issues going on in your heart, Brian, right? Like what? And and so that's what he's asking, right? How do you notice this speck without realizing you've got this log, this plank in your own eye? Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own? And then he says this, you hypocrite. But he doesn't end there. Right? If the passage ended there, the interpretation would be vastly different, in which we would have been like, okay, so when Jesus says, do not judge, and he says it, it's hypocritical uh, to, to, to act this way, we all would have walked away with a particular interpretation. But that's not where he ended. He actually gives us commands after that, that completely changed the interpretation of this passage. All right, check this out. Uh, this, is so, this is so interesting, right? Because so often we interpret this, this idea of judge not, which we shouldn't do particular types of judgment, not hypocritical judgment is what he's correcting here. But, but check this out. Next, next verse, or next half of the verse, I think I've got it on the next half. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Command from Jesus to us. Deal with the logs in our eyes. Jesus wants less blindness among his people. Jesus wants less planks and specks among his believers, right? Jesus says, first, deal with the log, okay? And then he says, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother, brother's eye. Take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so Jesus gives us two commands. He doesn't tell us, don't help your brother. He doesn't tell us, no one can talk to you about your plank, right? He doesn't say that uh, it's judgmental to talk about the idea that logs are logs and specks are specks and planks are planks. He doesn't say that. He says, deal with it, all right? Like he, he says, pull the log out of your eye, command from Jesus to us. And this is actually like some of the friendlier language that Jesus has regarding this. Elsewhere, he says, right, if you're hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And he's not talking literally. He's, he's making this point that, that sin is something that 
is so serious, it's worth removing from your life almost at all costs, right? Like that, that it's, it's, it's deadly serious, all right? That, that he thinks that it's something that is worth addressing. But the, the distinction here is that we don't walk in or operate in, in hypocritical judgment in which we nitpick little issues in one another and ignore these things that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are grieved about in our own hearts, right? He commands us to pull the log out of our eye, and he calls a log a log, right? He calls a plank a plank, and it's not judgmental to agree with him, right? It's like, no, Jesus, you're right. Like, we need less logs in my, my heart, right? We need less of that in your family of believers. And it's got to start with us. We've got to self-inspect, in fact, uh, Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, he's actually talking about communion here. Uh, but uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, he says, But if we judged ourselves truly, rightly, we would not be judged. And he's talking about the, the not be judged as in God's judgment, actually. He says, uh, verse 32, But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And so he, he actually recommends that we as believers would, as we read the word of God, inspect our own hearts and our lives to a point where it's like, God, you're grieved by this, even though I've lived like this for decades and didn't even realize it was a problem, right? Like, this is something that you want to address. And, and what Paul's writing about here, like I said, was communion, where there were believers in the church of Corinth that were taking communion with a light-hearted attitude about their sin, an unrepentant attitude about their sin, where they were just like, it's not a big deal, like whatever. And he's like, no, 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 you need to, to judge that in your heart. You need to right, pull the plank out of your eye, right? You need to deal with this because you're going to experience judgment because of it. You're going to walk outside of the blessing that God has for you. So much so, and this is like really crazy for like New Testament to hear this, but Paul actually says because they were taking communion with a wrong heart attitude that there were many that were sick among them and many that had died because of it, right? Like that's crazy that those who are seated with Christ were experiencing some amount of earthly consequences for unrepentant sin. And Paul's saying like, listen, you've got to deal with this. You've got to have a repentant heart. You've got to right, judge yourself and you won't be judged. And so, so back to, to Jesus' story, he wants us with extreme priority to deal with the issues in our own hearts, but eventually to love our brother and to help them with a plank in their eye, right? Like that's not an un unloving thing to do. That's a caring and compassionate thing to do, right? The way it is done could be done in a wrong and judgmental way, right? And that Jesus would correct that. But he's saying, listen, like, I've called you to love your neighbor. I've called you to love your brother. And that might include addressing issues when they are bringing on destruction or difficulty or foolishness in their lives and they're, they're not addressing it over time or they're unrepentant about it. It's like you might need to go and help your brother, right? Because Jesus doesn't want a lot of people that are ignoring their own sin and the sin of others, right? In which like we're all blind and we're planning on keeping it that way. He doesn't want a church full of logs and planks. He wants us to be fully trained, to become just like him, right? Jesus is calling an all-out war 
on my sin. And in that war, he calls us to likewise be a medic, to help lift up with compassion those who are fallen, right? To go and pursue like a shepherd going after the one that strayed, right? Like to go and help and show love to restore someone gently. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. It's loving to help your brother, but it's not done in a way in which you're judging them. No, you're like in humility realizing like, man, I used to live exactly the same way. I used to do exactly the same thing, right? Like I I need meekness and humility as I would approach that sort of situation, right? And it would be after I've addressed areas of repentance in my own heart that I would then likewise probably have a testimony to share with them to give them hope of like, hey, listen, like God can forgive you this, right? God can rescue you from slavery to this, and it's worth it. In Galatians 6, uh, verse 1, Paul writing, he says this, Brothers, okay, so he's, he's addressing brothers and sisters, the family of God. If anyone is caught in any transgression, anyone, people of the family of God are, are going to stumble. Like, we're going to need each other, guys. Right? Like, if hey, he's writing to brothers, if anyone, or James will later look at, will say, if any of you are caught in something like this, it's going to happen. We don't approach them with a hypocritical judgment. He says this, right? You who are spiritual, right? Those who are are walking and maturing and becoming like Jesus, right? You're not there yet, but you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted, right? And then verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're instructed to, if we're pursuing Jesus, to be keenly aware of our own tendency for temptation, but also to have love towards others that when we see any of us get caught, like trapped, like just snared in something that they need help with, that we would address it gently, right? Like it even, like fortunately, gives us the idea of the motive of, as to how that's, that's addressed, Right, that we would show them love and fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right, that showing this kind of love towards each other, it's not judgment. It's compassion. It's gentleness. Right, that, and that's what Paul calls us to do. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And they give us clarity as to how it should be done. Right, with a degree of, of humility. And if someone responds and they're like, like what do you mean? You're, you're judging me. Why, why are you bringing this up? It's like, well, you're kind of caught in a bear trap. Like, we can all agree that that's a snare, right? And they're like, no, you can't call that a snare. I like that snare. I want to live there. Like, this is what I want for my life. No, no, no. Like, I'm not judging you. I'm agreeing with Jesus that what he calls something that is a stumbling block to us, what he calls is something that would entrap us or ensnare us or right, be a difficulty for us in the rest of our lives. It's not judgment to call a snare a snare, to call a plank a plank. I'm not standing in judgment of someone. I'm saying, let me help. Let me restore you, right? And so, so there's this, this attitude in which you're bearing one another's burdens. And it's not always going to be received well, by the way. <laughs> like, it's not. Uh, so that's where, like, I think the humility is a, is a really big deal. James 5, James puts it this way. He says, my brothers. So once again, 
He's addressing believers, suggesting that you and I, even though we're seated with Christ, even though we're raised with Christ, even though we're holy and beloved, if any of you, anyone among you wanders from the truth, right? This is something that any of us could find ourselves in that, in that place, something to be aware of, right? That our hearts have the tendency to go back to earthly thinking and earthly living. It says, and someone brings him back. What do you think James is going to say? That person's so judgmental that they would go after that person. <laughs> right? No. No, this is something to be celebrated. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is something to be celebrated. Right? This is something to be celebrated. Right? You might think like, oh, James is probably going to say, you know, if someone goes to try to bring him back, that guy should just mind his own business. But like, No. Brothers, if anyone is, is wandering from the truth, your heart has become stray, right? We've fallen prey to our own deceitful desires. Guys, it can happen to us. We need to be reminded of the truth. And it's a good thing when God pursues us, right? Jesus is the shepherd that leaves the 99 to seek the one. We sing songs about that. But then the moment when God might call my brother to come care for me in that way, like for me to like reject that and be offended, no. Like, that's a demonstration of God's grace and his love for me. That my sin, a multitude of my sins, would be covered and forgiven because that person seeks me out. Right? Like, that's worth it. Right? And this is, this is the author who writes just a chapter before. I didn't put this on the screen. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Right? James says that about judging your neighbor. We would interpret that in a very particular way. But then James ends his whole letter to the church with this, celebrating someone who's not judging their neighbor, someone who's not walking in hypocritical judgment, but pursues in love to restore someone and to offer. Right? They can't save. They can't condemn or destroy. But we can warn someone of destruction. Right? We can lead someone to the Savior. We can remind someone of the truth that they've strayed from. We can show God's grace and, and see their sin, a multitude of sins, be covered and forgiven. And we celebrate that, right? Later on in Luke, we'll read a parable where Jesus talks about throwing a party when the prodigal son returns, right? Like, that's the response of the church, right? That's the response when we see someone return. That is something we celebrate and are excited about as God's grace continues to show itself faithful and true in all of our lives, even though none of us deserve it. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so in a community of believers, it gets complicated, but it's not about like having a whole group of, right, secret service Christians hunting people down, trying to figure out what sins they're doing, right? Like it's not like Spanish Inquisition in here. Uh, I think James earlier on in uh, verse 16, I think he addresses this, right? Jesus says the priority is my planks, my logs, right? Me dealing with my sin, okay? Right? And, and James says the same thing, and I think this is a helpful attitude for us to have. James 5, 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. All right, so it's not just like about like me pretending I'm on this mission from God to hunt other people down and address their sin issues. No, it's about me being willing to confess my sin, my failures to my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And realize like, hey, 
I need you to pray with me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to remind me of the truth. Right? Or that in areas that I've already experienced recovery in, right, that I can still share that story as to God's faithfulness to rescue and redeem. Right? That this word holds true. It will produce the fruit that he set it out to do. Right? That we can overcome. We don't have to live the rest of our lives as slaves to sin. And so we can share this testimony that God rescues us. Right? Or that we are presently struggling with something and we need the help. We need the encouragement of one another. Right? And so that results in producing humility in us. And James says it produces healing in us. Right? More complete healing and restoration as a result of that humility and honest repentance. And it produces hope in the hearer. Whereas they hear about God's faithfulness to forgive, as they hear about God's faithfulness to restore the broken vessel, right? That like, it's like God can do that for me, right? If God didn't quit on Paul, like surely he can forgive me. If, if, if God can forgive Paul who says he was the chief of sinners, then I think that might mean I can be invited into this community too, right? Like this is awesome, right? It, it produces hope in us. And so, so how do we help each other when we're not yet fully trained? How do we encourage each other when we are still struggling or when we might still have logs in our eyes, right? How do we help each other? Because some people might say like, hey, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so maybe none of us can bring these issues up because there's all still some kind of log going on here, right? Like, how, how do we deal with that, right? And even in the case of the the casting the first stone, that was a type of expressing final judgment and condemnation on someone's life over their sin, right? And Jesus said, like, hey, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more, right? Jesus paid the penalty for the condemnation that our sin deserved, right? And in situations like that, even though we're still struggling, we can be encouraging one another, hey, let's, I need you to call me this week, hold me accountable, right? I need you to remind me to go and sin no more. Like, read some scriptures to me, shoot me a text of some verses that I can stand on. I need help, right? Because I don't want to keep this in my life. So how do we help each other grow in the midst of our own still struggling situations? We can study the Bible together. We can agree with Jesus when he calls a plank a plank right? Like, that's going to be encouraging. I don't want someone to say, Brian, you don't have to worry about the planks in your life. Like, no, I need you to address this. This is a problem for me, right? Like, I don't want this harm being brought on me. Help me with my plank, right? Please, right? And so we should look unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, right? Like, even though none of us are perfect, we're looking to him. He's the one that's going to bring us to completion, Right? He's the one that we want to be fully trained to be like. Let's see. Oh, man, that clock. Last verse. We'll leave this on the screen for a minute. Hebrews 3.12. Because you might be like, okay, so Brian, how often will we ever really be talking to one another about sin? Like, it's probably just a super rare thing, right? Maybe if you've been a Christian for half a century, then maybe you can begin to point out a speck in someone else's life. How often should that actually be addressed? Right? Like, that's, that's where my mind would start going, to be honest. I'd be like, oh, it's just going to be a super rare thing because we're all screwed up. But no, no, no. This is, uh, this is what the author of Hebrews writes. Take care, brothers, 
Once again, this is written to believers, those who already have a status of righteousness and family relationship with God, right? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another, right? Encourage, challenge, remind each other of the truth, right? Warn each other if needed. How often? Every day. As long as it's called today. This was written like 2,000 years ago. Yeah, it's still called today. When, we're, when it's today, it's still called today. I guess this still applies even now. Every day, exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Right? So it's like, it's not a matter of status. We already have status and forgiveness and freedom the moment we trust in Jesus. But for the rest of our lives, we're going through training to become more like him. We need to encourage each other, realizing our hearts are susceptible to wander, to stray, to, to be earthly minded. Right? And we need to exhort and encourage each other. Like, hey, how's that going with you? Right? You confessed that to me the other week. I prayed with you. How's that fight going? Because it's still worth fighting, right? It's still worth it, right? And, and this is a thing that we do in love towards each other. It's not hypocritical judgment, and it can't be, because Jesus has forgiven each of us so much. Like, we're in no position to judge. All we can do is agree or disagree with the one who is the judge. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your working in our hearts. I thank you, God, that you don't quit on us, that you don't give up on us, that when you begin a work in us, you let us experience joy and freedom. You let us experience the gift of repentance in which there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But Lord, I thank you that you are invested in restoring us to a place in which we're fully trained and like you. That, God, that you are interested in not just forgiving our sin, but making us more and more like you every day. I pray, Holy Spirit, we give you free reign this morning to convict each of us of the things in our lives that are grieving to you. That we would recognize that what your word says is true, but it's the words of truth and life. That it is removing the things in us that are, are bringing about death. And, Lord, we don't want it. And so, God, help us to submit to you, to yield to you, to trust you. Help us to be a people who are zealous for good works and holiness unto you, Lord God. Lord, I thank you that we can be reminded that we are seated with you, that we are the beloved of you, that, Lord, we are chosen by you and forgiven by you. And that doesn't change just because we might struggle with sin still. But, Lord, don't let us surrender that fight. Don't let us become prisoners of war to the enemy. Lord, remind us each and every day to crucify our flesh and to put to death these things that are in us and to put on you each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.